The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here are your top five at five. Call it an April to forget. Stocks coming off their worst month in years with futures pointing to a rebound today. We break down the market action that's coming up ahead. And not holding any punches. What Guggenheim, Scott Minard, really thinks of the Fed ahead of its policy decision due out on Wednesday. His comments are coming up. And Buffett's big buy, the stock the Oracle of Omaha loaded up on in the first three months of this year. And many more headlines from a big Berkshire weekend. Plus, as Shanghai reopens from its COVID lockdown, Beijing is moving the other way. As that crisis continues to spiral, we have a live report on deck. And later... Despite one of the worst Aprils on record, at least one high-profile investor is reportedly coming into May with some notable gains. It is Monday, May 2nd, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Monday morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Monday morning with U.S. stock futures. They are popping after what was, just let's be honest, an ugly Friday and an even uglier month for stocks. Let's break it down right now. Friday, the Dow fell nearly 1,000 points for more than 2.5% loss. Worse yet for the S&P and at a 3.6% loss, even still worse for the Nasdaq, shedding 537 points on Friday or 4.2% for its worst single day since September of 2020. Chalk that last one up to big losses Friday for Apple and Amazon on the heels of disappointing earnings and some disappointing outlooks. Ahead of the open, the Dow is off 10 percent from its all-time high. The S&P off 14 percent. The Nasdaq off 24 percent. That's the right graphic right there. All right. Now we want to take a look at bond yields ahead of the Fed's two-day policy meeting that's kicking off tomorrow. And right now we're seeing it right here. The 10-year up at about 2.94. You've got to remember, this is up 50 basis points from where it was at the start of April. Um, the entire bond market elevated a bit right now. We are also watching oil, especially following those reports that uh, factory uh, activity in China contracted. Honestly, hitting some uh, demand concerns or creating some demand concerns, I should say. WTI right here down about 2.5%. Brent crude down about 2.5%. Both of them right back at the level they were at the beginning of April after a bit of a roller coaster ride for the month. And turning our attention to crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether both up today. Bitcoin, Ether, both up today. Cryptocurrency getting a bit of a boost. But you got to remember, these are still down compared to where they were at the start of May. Bitcoin, for example, up at about 46,000 at the start, excuse me, at the start of April. Uh, Bitcoin up at about 46,000. All right, now turning our attention to the early trade in Europe. Uh, red arrows across the screen are Juliana Tattlebaum. She's standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana. 
Frank, good morning. Well, it's not just Europe where we've seen some red arrows this morning, but also Asia. We do have a few markets closed for holiday today, including those in China, Hong Kong, and here in the UK. But for the Asian markets that have been open, it's been a fairly downbeat session. We've got the Nikkei 225 down about 11 basis points overnight. The Kospi over in Korea down about a third of a percent. The Australian market also taking a hit. We did get some downbeat data out of China overnight. Uh, the official manufacturing PMI coming in at its lowest level since February 2020. So a contraction in manufacturing activity there. The private Kaishin survey also pointed to a further contraction. So clearly the COVID lockdowns are having an impact on the Chinese economy. As for European markets, this is the picture right now. We do have red uh, across the board for the European markets that are open. You've got the DAX down about 1%, the CAC 40 over in France down about 1.75%. But we have bounced off the lows. So Frank, things are, um, are starting out the month of May in negative territory, but it seems as though in the last hour or so, sentiment has stabilized. So clearly investors waiting for that Fed meeting, among other things this week. Yeah, obviously a lot of eyes on that Fed meeting here in the U.S. and globally. Juliana, thanks for that. All right. On top of all the market action, it was also a very big weekend for the Warren Buffett faithful and Berkshire Hathaway investors. <clears throat> Silvana Hanau is here with those highlights. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning. A very busy weekend for Berkshire Hathaway indeed and for Warren Buffett. Kicking things off with Berkshire revealing it has boosted its stake in energy giant Chevron in the first quarter of this year, making that company its fourth biggest holding in its equity portfolio. The Oracle of Omaha's Chevron investment was worth $25.9 billion at the end of March, up from $4.5 billion at the end of last year. Chevron shares are up more than 30 percent this year. Turning to retail investors and one of Buffett and Charlie Munger's favorite punching bags, Robin Hood, the two calling out investment banks, brokerages and gamification of the stock market. Buffett telling shareholders banks make more money when people are gambling versus investing. Munger taking it a step further, saying shares of Robin Hood are, quote, rightly unraveling because of what he calls disgusting business practices, to which Robin Hood tells CNBC in part, quote, it is tiresome witnessing Mr. Munger mischaracterize a platform and customer base he knows nothing about. He should just say what he really means. Unless you look, think, and act like him, you cannot and should not be an investor. And finally, first it was the Labor Department, but now Charlie Munger is calling out Fidelity's plans to let its 401k users add Bitcoin to their investment portfolios. I got some advice for you, too. (laughs) When you have your own retirement account and your friendly advisor suggests you put all the money into Bitcoin, (laughs) just say no. (laughs) All right, Frank. Well, lots there to digest. Back to you. (laughs) Uh, Definitely a crowd pleasing line there. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You got it. All right. Turning our attention now to the crisis in Ukraine and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other members of Congress making a surprise visit to the country's capital city over the weekend. This is President Biden is asking Congress for even more help to aid Ukraine and its people. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with much more. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Frank. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is now the highest ranking U.S. official to visit the Ukrainian capital since the war started. She says she wanted to show America's unflinching support for Ukraine. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and a U.S. delegation walking in the streets of Kyiv with President Zelensky. 
their visit under wraps for security reasons. We believe that we are visiting you uh, to say thank you uh, for your fight for freedom. Zelensky expressing gratitude for the support. Thank you very much for this support. It's very important and I think you have to know that we'll win. Attacks against Ukraine are intensifying. The Russian Defense Ministry says it struck 800 targets in 24 hours over the weekend, including a hangar with weapons supplied by the West. We need all the assistance we can get in defensive weapons, in, in military support, in uh, financial support, but also in humanitarian support. President Biden wants Congress to approve an additional $33 billion for five months of aid for Ukraine. Republicans and Democrats signaling they'll back it. Every day we don't send them more weapons uh, is a day where more people will be killed in a day where they could lose uh, this war. The Senate Majority Leader is also pushing to seize assets of Russian oligarchs and use the proceeds to help Ukrainians. It's time for sanctioned Russian oligarchs to be held accountable for the ill-gotten wealth that they have received. Situation in Ukraine, how to help them, what, what kind of support they need. Speaker Pelosi meeting with Poland's president this morning, thanking him for supporting Ukraine through humanitarian efforts. Poland has the largest influx of Ukrainian refugees. And officials say their humanitarian operation in Mariupol continues today. So far, more than 100 civilians have been evacuated from the besieged still plant. Frank. All right, Bree, thank you for the very latest out of D.C. Turning our attention back to the markets, which slumped on Friday to close out a brutal month under continued pressure by rising rates, inflation and some underwhelming earnings from tech giants like Apple and Amazon. The Dow falling 939 points, bringing its loss to the week to two and a half percent. The S&P posting its worst day since June of 2020, falling three point six percent. The Nasdaq, worst off out of a mall, dropping 4.2%, closing at lows for the year. The Dow and the S&P, they're coming off their worst month since March of 2020. That's basically the start of the pandemic, finishing down 4.9% and 8.8% respectively. The selling was more intense for the Nasdaq, which tumbled more than 13% in April. It's worst month since the financial crisis all the way back in 2008. But if you want a silver lining, the major averages are still up roughly 80% from their pandemic lows. Let's get some perspective now with Lee Baker, president of Apex Financial, and Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. Thank you both for being here this morning. Morning. All right, a lot to break down. We just kind of just ran down the resume, if you will, the markets over the last month. Pretty tough time. Uh, NASDAQ having its worst month since the financial crisis. But, Lee, I think you may be in the minority. We're, we're, we're seeing here right now though, that bad month and then also ahead We're expecting a rate hike, but you believe there's a a possible bounce for the markets ahead. You're going to have to explain this thesis. Absolutely. Uh, You know, this this repeated itself. Well, it's about to repeat. I think what happened a couple of months ago Uh, in March, you know, we had the first rate hike and things had gone down. But then there was about a 10 percent relief rally. I, I think what we've got here is a situation where particularly last week, uh, things just got overcooked to the downside. Yes, we're going to have continued volatility all throughout the year, uh, but I think we're going to have a little bit of a pop, uh, assuming that the Fed doesn't do anything terribly surprising. But a 50 basis point rate hike, I think we'll see a little relief between now and then. So, Lee, I got to follow up with you really quick. We are expecting a 50 basis point hike. Isn't that going to hit these technology stocks once again? And they're just such a big part of the market these days. Yeah, you know, I I think they are a big part of the market. Uh, Some of the technology stocks, uh, might still be in for a bit more trouble. But candidly, uh, things like Amazon, 
which got hammered uh, mercilessly on Friday, I think was an overshoot. Uh, companies like Microsoft, Apple, uh, we're looking for the long term and, and working with everyday clients. It's a long term picture and we're not getting too uh, bent out of shape about moving this from one month to the next. All right, Gene, I want to come over to you. Uh, Lee's pointing out Amazon, but you're saying the market's searching for quality. I looked at that Amazon report. The market didn't like it, but there was really a lot of quality in there, a lot of cloud growth, a lot of marketing growth. Um, I think we all kind of thought that the logistics business was going to slow down because people are just leaving their house. Um, isn't Amazon quality? Did I miss something? I actually totally agree with you. Amazon is quality. I mean, if you look at if you look deeper into the numbers, the cloud story isn't going away and you're seeing tremendous growth continuing um, in uh, Amazon Web Services, which is a big piece of their um, long term story. But we have also been expecting that, you know, the e-commerce play at some point was going to unravel because the pandemic, as people started to get back out into the economy, um, you know, there there was going to be a natural pullback. But the interesting thing is, is that no one's going to stop ordering Amazon products. I think that's here to stay. And I think that that um, we will see uh, sort of Amazon settle where it's going to settle. And the market right now is looking for for long term quality and durability. So in the end, I think Amazon's going to have the last laugh. So, Gina, one of the things that you flagged is with this rising interest rate situation, the market's just not going to tolerate what you call stupidly high valuations. So I look at a lot of these tech stocks, like PayPal, for example, trading at 21 times forward earnings. Is that stupidly high for a business like this that we all know at some point, like, yeah, there's going to be paper money, but we're all going to pretty much tap, swipe, et cetera? Absolutely. You know, some of these companies are actually really attractive right now. Um, you know, uh, it, and they're companies, by the way, that aren't necessarily uh, as cheap as PayPal, but like NVIDIA is actually cheap relative to what you can expect. And the semiconductor market is not going away. And those chips are highly valuable. Um, and where they're going is incredibly important. So, you know, I, I think that you can tell stories about this kind of durability, um, but valuation matters. And we're starting to see some companies really get become more and more attractive. Right. I think until we get through the rate hikes and we know what's happening, that's when we're going to know how to value things. Right. Um, but right now, I think the market's just looking for two things, profitability, cash flow. All right, before we let you guys go, we want to play a soundbite from Scott Minard, his take on inflation. I uh, just want to get your reaction to it before we let you guys go. Because the Fed has been so accommodative, we, we've had to readjust the price level to a higher level. We're never going to take that back. We are now permanently at a higher price level. Yeah. So trying to think that we're going to somehow reverse all of this and go back to where we were, it is not going to happen. All right, Lee, turning over to you. Agree or disagree just really quickly, and how do you see that impact in the markets going forward? I, I'd say basically I agree. You know, um, we've had some very unusual circumstances that we've come through. Uh, the Fed has made certain adjustments. Uh, you know, overall from an inflation standpoint, I think things are going to settle somewhat. But in terms of pricing, I, I basically agree with him. Gina, over to you. I agree, but I think that, that he is underestimating the incredibly powerful impact, uh, deflationary impact that continued technology um, happens. I mean, I think we're going to have to figure out how to get productivity in this work from home environment. A lot of people are saying productivity is, is falling as people are working from home and being distracted. And so that may not work in the short term, but I think in the long term we're, that it's going to settle. We are permanently higher, um, but tech is deflationary.
Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we permanently are is liking to work from home. I think it's going to be hard to get people out that habit. Lee Baker and Gina Sanchez, thank you both for your insight. We appreciate it. All right, when we come back here to Worldwide Exchange, much more on Buffett's big weekend, including his take on inflation and its impact on American companies and consumers, plus a crisis in Beijing as the city works to keep its COVID outbreak under control. We have a live report from the region coming up. And later, Guggenheim Scott Miner, his take on inflation, the Fed, and the sectors of the market that he's buying right now. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. With the latest Beijing COVID-19 outbreak now in its 10th day, city officials, they have yet to declare an official lockdown. But that's not stopping the city from becoming a relative ghost town. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now. Eunice, just to put this in perspective, Beijing almost three times bigger than New York City, and you're saying that the streets are just about empty? Yeah, that's right, Frank. And I don't know if you could see behind me, but uh, this place where I'm at right now is a shopping area. And it's usually packed with people, especially this week, because this is the May Day holiday, spring holiday. People are usually dining out. uh, They're shopping, but not this time. I mean, as you said, officially, Beijing is not in a lockdown the way we see in Shanghai. We can go out of our homes. However, the restrictions have become so onerous in the past couple of days that it's really, really difficult to go out and do anything. Uh, For example, uh, restaurants have suspended all in-house dining. The um, tourist sites such as Universal Beijing Resorts and parks are shut or at half capacity during this holiday. And then shopping malls and the vast majority of indoor spaces now require a 48-hour negative COVID test just to get in. And this is despite the fact that the numbers of infections is relatively low. There's a press conference that's still ongoing. They said that since this wave started, there are 400 cases in a city of 21 million. And looking forward, it looks as though these restrictions are going to come even um, become more onerous. Uh, Beijing announced plans for what it described as normalized testing that it's going to start after the holiday ends on Thursday. So they're telling us now that residents are going to have to get negative COVID tests that are valid for a seven-day period to get into public places. 
such as the subway. Also, the authorities here have announced that they've started constructing makeshift quarantine centers in the suburbs. Frank? Wow, Eunice. Uh, just the, the images you're showing us right here. It seems like it's just a very serious situation. So the restrictions we're seeing in places like Beijing and like Shanghai, they seem almost, I don't know, counterintuitive to what the government is actually saying about its efforts to stabilize the Chinese economy. Absolutely. And in fact, last week we had a, a very high level leadership meeting where uh, Xi Jinping and his his uh, top echelon of power, upper elite um, administration had said that they want to make sure that the economy is prioritized, that um, there are going to be measures in place to try to either boost construction spending, uh, kind of ease off of some of the Internet companies, uh, take other measures for the property sector in order to try to stabilize growth. But as you had said, uh, we currently have Shanghai and Beijing in lockdown or in partial lockdown. And if you just look at these two cities, it's 21 million people plus 25 million people. So 46 million people, who, which is the entire population of Spain, not taking part at a time when there is supposed to be a whole lot of consumer spending and travel. So you could imagine what kind of economic impact that could have, especially if these lockdowns drag on for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wow. Uh, as always, Eunice, great reporting. You stay healthy. You stay safe. We appreciate it as always. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a key executive exit at Disney in the wake of his feud with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Quick market flash, looking at shares of Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, coming off a nearly 30% loss last month, its worst month since inception, way, way back in 2014. This after Wood told CNBC on Friday, her worst fear are take private deals of the stocks held by that ETF, you know, private equity, buying those companies outright because prices have gotten so low. She says many are selling, quote, at bargain basement prices. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Happy Monday, Frances. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. Severe weather continues to rip across the south in Kansas. Severe damage after an EF3 tornado barreled through Andover Friday. Drone video captured these stunning images of the debris being sucked skyward as the funnel formed before it tore through homes. The twister destroyed nearly 200 homes, but everyone survived. 
Now to the touching tribute for country music superstar Naomi Judd. Judd died suddenly on Saturday. Daughters Winona and Ashley Judd said they lost their mother to, quote, the disease of mental illness. Despite her untimely death, Winona and her late mother Naomi were inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame yesterday. Your esteem for her and your regard for her really penetrated her heart. And it was your affection for her that did keep her going in these last years. The Judds ran up 14 number one songs over a 30-year career. Naomi Judd was 76 years old. It was a home run auction for a piece of MLB history over the weekend. The bat Jackie Robinson used in the 1949 All-Star Game there just sold for over a million dollars at auction. It includes a letter of authenticity from Robinson's wife, Rachel. Robinson played his first All-Star Game in 1949. That's the same year he won his lone Most Valuable Player Awards. A very happy owner now with that piece of major history and MLB history as well, Frank. Yeah, definitely a historic bat right there. Just a few days after Jackie Robinson Day. Very cool. Francis Rivera, we appreciate it. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, how Equinox is now jumping on the crypto train. Plus, Guggenheim, Scott Minard on last week and last month's stock market carnage. A can't-miss interview coming up ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stocks kicking off a new month with a black eye after their worst month in years, but the futures, they're pointing to a rebound. Plus, hear from Guggenheim's Scott Minard on his reaction to last week's sell-off and where he now sees some opportunity. And call it Buffett's Big Buy, where the Oracle of Omaha is putting his money, plus his take on inflation and the American consumer. It's all ahead this Monday, May 2nd, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Brian is reporting for the Milking Conference in California. We're going to hear from him in just a few minutes. But first, a check on the markets. It's right around 530 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here's how your money, the markets, your everything is shaping up right now because all of our eyes are on the market right now. We're seeing right now the Dow's up looking poised to pop just about 100 points, at least at this point. You got to remember it closed down 900 points lower on Friday. And then this follows Major U.S. equity markets really taking a beating in April with the Dow and the S&P posting their worst month since March of 2022 and the Nasdaq, the hardest hit, seeing its worst month since October of 2008. We're talking Great Recession times. In the bond markets right now, keeping a lot of eyes on that with the Fed meeting coming up this week, we're seeing the two-year up right now at about 2.94%. Remember, that's more than 50 basis points higher than it was back at the start of April we also have to hit oil right now. The oil market's getting hit a little bit right now due to those reports about contraction at uh, Chinese factories right now. Both of them down more than 2.5%. WTI down about 3%. But remember, these levels we're seeing right here, same level they were at the start of April, a bit of a roller coaster ride throughout the month. Now to this morning's top headlines. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. And good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again to you, Frank. Well, the Disney executive in charge of crafting the company's response to Florida's Don't Say Gay controversy is leaving the company after just three months on the job. In an email seen by Reuters, Jeff Morrell told staff it's clear for a number of reasons Disney was not a good fit. 
Disney shares were one of the worst Dow performers last month, falling more than 18 percent. In the face of April's market turmoil that had the Nasdaq see its worst month since 2008, at least one high-profile investor came out unscathed. According to Bloomberg, David Einhorn's Greenlight Capital chalked up a 10.6 percent gain in April, bringing his total 2022 return to roughly 15 percent. No comment from Greenlight. Still, Einhorn does have a long way to go after a 20 percent loss in 2015 and 34 percent loss in 2018. He still needs a gain of 12 percent to get back to break even. And Amazon is cutting paid time off for U.S. warehouse workers who test positive for COVID-19. Starting today, any worker who tests positive will get up to five days of excused unpaid leave. Workers still have the option of using sick days if needed. Additionally, Amazon will also stop sending site-wide notifications of positive cases in its facilities unless required by law, Frank. All right, Savannah, thanks for that. You got it. All right, turning our attention now to the Milken Global Conference out in L.A. kicking off as stocks are under pressure. Brian Sullivan sat down with Guggenheim Scott Miner to talk about what's going on in the the stock market, interest rates, and much more. We're at a a very unusual time in in history. And when I say that, I'm, I'm not just talking about the pandemic and the Ukraine. But it's also monetary policy and and, uh, fiscal policy. Now, here we are coming off a huge fiscal stimulus. We had a huge monetary stimulus. And now, suddenly, we're reversing course, right? They told us at the Fed that rates were going to be at zero until 2024. All of a sudden, we're going to raise rates. We're going to raise rates aggressively in order to fight inflation. Did the Fed screw up? I think so. I mean, they definitely overdid it uh, in terms of uh, supporting fiscal spending by buying all these bonds. And now, look, we've done this before. We did this during the Second World War. And so now we're coming out of this phase. But unlike what we did at the end of the Second World War, where we just said, "Okay, fine, we're going to turn off the printing press now and let's let inflation run its course and come back to neutral. Uh, we're, we're aggressively fighting it. Yeah. So, for instance, in 1946, inflation went to 20%. Right? By 1949, we were in deflation. They didn't, they didn't tighten. They just stopped printing money. But we know what caused 46. What, there's a huge debate, argument, fight. It's very political. It's very charged. What? Is there one primary cause of the inflation we're seeing today, or is it just a confluence of a number of things? Well, look, in... Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Easy, Milton. Yes, just print money and you'll get inflation. All right. But the thing here is we ran into bottlenecks. Right now, in a normal course, if we hadn't had all the money printing, there would be demand destruction that would offset the price increases in other categories. We're starting to see that right now. But, you know, because the Fed has been so accommodative, we... We've had to readjust the price level to a higher level. We're never going to take that back. We are now permanently at a higher price level. So trying to think that we're going to somehow reverse all of this and go back to where we were, it is not going to happen. But I guess what I'm – listen, people think of you as a bond guy, but you're you're an everything guy. You invest in equities as well. You have to. Global CIO. We have stocks that are down 75% from five months ago. Right. 
What's going on with equities? Well, I think, I mean, look, I think the stock, the stocks fall into a number of buckets, right? For instance, Peloton, right, which was a stock that everybody thought was the darling of the pandemic. And now that we're back to able to go out to work out in a gym, you know, it's not as attractive anymore, yeah. right? So some of these things are destined to unwind. But then we have situations like home builders, and we have huge spike in interest rates. Uh, you know, the worst bear market in bonds on record that anybody can remember. And so we've had this massive increase in mortgages, and we're seeing home builders come down, and you have home builders trading at six times earnings. Are you buying them? Well, yes, we're along the, the home builders index. And the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is that, you know, the demand for houses isn't going away. The, the prices are up. Lumber prices are coming down. You know, we're getting demand destruction. Yeah. We're getting exactly what should be happening if you stop printing money. My concern is that the Fed not is not just stop printing money, but they've they've slammed on the brakes and they're throwing it, the car into reverse right at a time when we're starting to see demand destruction happen and we're starting to see prices begin to plateau and start to decelerate. What should they do then? Well, I think we got a Fed meeting coming up on Wednesday. Everybody right. expects at least a half a percent. I'm not going to say basis point. Right. They could do three quarters of a percent. Right. What should they do? And more importantly, what guidance right. should they give us if you were running the show? Well, the first thing I would do is I would get rid of the idea of pegging interest rates. This idea that they set an overnight rate, that was what we did in the 1970s that allowed inflation to go out and spiral out of control. When Volcker came in, Volcker got rid of this pegging of interest rates, and he looked at the supply of money, right? What they need to do is focus on the supply of money and the balance sheet. Let the market determine what the right equilibrium rate is. And so just say, we're going to, we're going to stop printing money. We're going to slowly reduce the size of the balance sheet. And without money, without the growth of money there to, to fuel the flames, we're taking, we're taking the fuel away from the fire. And eventually, you know, prices will But in will some stabilize. ways, aren't we trusting... <clears throat> there's a bunch of different Fed members, and I'm not right. trying to cast too much blame because there was a lot of things, but we're trusting the people who helped get us into this to now get us out of this. Look, I, I once said to Bill Dudley, who was president of the New York Fed at the time, the central bank is the source of and solution to every crisis, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we got here because of the Fed. And now I, I think we're running the risk that we're going to create another crisis. Are we? Oh, we're definitely on path. What kind? Is it going to be a credit event? What? What? Well, the first. What thing, is different between now well, and 2008? Because 2008 we'd always CLOs, CDOs, yeah, yeah, crazy was, derivative. Right. This is not then. No, that's right. But that's the market, not. the stock market, is falling faster now than it did then. Right. Well, I mean, look, I think Mohammed Alarian put his finger on this. Right now, because the Fed is, is withdrawing liquidity, right? The, 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 if you look at a number like M2, which I money know is theory, a really money, money supply, supply. Yep. it's actually contracted over the last three months. Okay, we've, we've had this massive run-up in prices. So, you know, as we take liquidity out of the system, markets are becoming illiquid. You know, you see Treasury rates move around by a quarter to half a percent on a daily basis. That is a liquidity problem, right? And I believe Muhammad is right, which is a liquidity problem has a way of turning itself into a credit problem, and a credit problem has a way of turning itself into a general financial problem. So, Will it? 
if we don't stop what we're, of course we're on, I believe we will, yes. So do you think that we've seen the peak of 10-year yields this year? Uh, I think we probably have. I mean, I'll look, I know I, you I, were in a lower yield yeah, camp. I was, I was uh, look, I thought two and a half was going to be the peak. Uh, you know, we've overshot that level. Uh, but we could come back to it? Oh, easily. And, you know, one thing, Brian, if we, I have if to we go. Get another negative, if we <clears> get a, ne- a negative GDP print for the second quarter, right? technically that's a recession, although we can dither right. over the definition of a recession with the NDER, et cetera. Right. Could the Fed reverse the reversal well, that's and the, see rates come down? Well, that's, that's really the what The dollar I'm, fall? Honestly, that's what I'm actually the most concerned about. I'm afraid that if the Fed sees the economy to begin to stall... That they'll they'll reverse course just like they did in 2018, and then all of a sudden they will lose all credibility as an inflation fighter. All right, you can catch much more from the Milken Conference throughout the day right here on CNBC. Plus, don't miss Brian's big CNBC Pro Strategy session from the event. It's at 11:30 a.m. Eastern time. To register, go to cnbc.com/pro/talks. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Warren Buffett holding court with Berkshire Hathaway shareholders this weekend, talking about everything from Apple to Activision to oil prices to inflation. Our Becky Quick, she's going to join us live from Omaha with all the highlights coming up next. But first, as we head to break, some of your trending top stories. Amazon says it's closing six Whole Foods stores in four states. This comes about two months after the company announcing it was shutting down dozens of physical bookstores, Amazon four-star locations, and mall pop-up kiosks. Health Club Equinox will reportedly start accepting cryptocurrency payments for membership fees in the Big Apple. The New York Post reports the luxury chain will partner with crypto payment service BitPay. And Netflix is canceling development of an animated series created by Meghan Markle called Pearl. It is among several projects being dropped and follows a disappointing first quarter report for the streaming giant. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. New research shops out with notes over the weekend and new names on their radars. Morgan Stanley says Walmart, Five Below and O'Reilly Auto Parts. They look attractive, at least at these levels right now. And Oppenheimer is now telling clients to rotate out of midstream energy like Kinder Morgan and TC Energy and then move into utilities. It's best idea buying the XLU ETF. All right. So the story's uh, the big. I can't get it out. The weekend's big story. Warren Buffett. Making headlines this week on a wide variety of stocks and topics, everything from Apple to Activision to inflation to the individual investor. Our Becky Quick brought CNBC viewers a front row sheet to this seat to this weekend's big event in Omaha and joins us now with some of the highlights. Good morning, Becky. Hey, good morning, Frank. You and me, it's early Monday morning, right? We're both trying to ease into this here. Uh, It was a big weekend. Warren Buffett holding court in Omaha, speaking to shareholders at Berkshire Hathaway's first in-person annual meeting in three years. He made headlines as he revealed Berkshire had upped its stake in three of its holdings. First up, he talked about Apple, uh, mentioned that Apple was something that he bought a little more of in the first quarter. He also added to Berkshire's investment in Chevron, uh, taking that holding to $26 billion. That was up 
up from what we had seen in the end of the first quarter from four and a half billion dollars at year's end. And, and Buffett also reporting that Berkshire now holds nine and a half percent of video game maker Activision Blizzard, telling the shareholders he got interested in that after the deal with Microsoft had been announced. He said it's an arbitrage play. He noticed pretty quickly that the stock had been trading well below Microsoft's deal price of $95 a share. And, hey, figured in the meantime, maybe they can make some money on this. In the more than five hours of questions and answers, uh, shareholders peppered Buffett on a range of topics. And here's how he explained the damage that was done from rising prices when asked about inflation in his previous comments. He said, wrote an article back in the 1970s, the last time we saw such high inflation, and said that it swindles equity investors. Of course, the bonds can swindle the equity investor to everything. Uh, 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 inf- inflation, I should say, swindles the, the bond investor, too. And they, it swindles the person who keeps their cash under their mattress. It swindles almost everybody. And um, the problem, if you have a business that doesn't take any capital, and let's just say the dollar depreciates 90% or something, so things cost 10 times as much. If it doesn't take any capital, you can charge 10 times as much, and you've kept your relative position. But most businesses take some capital. We're going to have much more from Buffett and Munger coming up in just a few minutes on Squawk Box. And Frank, it was a big weekend, a lot of news to talk about. Yeah, a lot of news, including uh, Berkshire Hathaway upping its stake in Apple. Let's talk a little bit more about that. The stock closed down 9% last month. Any other commentary about investing in tech or continuing to invest in Apple? Any concerns about what they saw last week? Yeah, you know, um, Buffett has always been somebody who who says when when prices are down, you should feel good about owning a stock if you're a stockholder, not get depressed when the prices drop, um, because it just means that you can buy more if you love the stock at a cheaper price. He did make the comments. He kind of slipped it in over over this weekend, um, mentioned almost in passing that their stake in Apple had gone up. I had to go back and look at the transcript to kind of find some of these things. Um, Mentioned that the stake had gone up in part because Apple bought more shares, but also because they bought more of a stake. Um, Got the chance to catch up with him. I saw him here yesterday after the meeting was over and, and got a little more commentary on it. We're going to talk about that coming up in Squawk Box. But this is pretty interesting, Frank. It's a big deal. It is by far their largest holding. Uh, Berkshire owns, I think, more than $150 billion in Apple shares. It makes up more than 40 percent of their overall portfolio. And it, it's such a big stake. It's important enough that uh, Berkshire being the biggest sh- individual shareholder in Apple that uh, Tim Cook made his way out here, too. He was actually on the floor, um, listened through the meeting with the question and answer period. And he's a little bit of a of a star here <laughs> in Omaha. He made his way over to the side where a lot of the shareholders were and stood there taking selfies with them before the meeting started. It was kind of this bum rush for everybody who could see who could uh, get a selfie with Tim Cook. So it's it's something to see. And it's a really big, important stake for them. Yes, yeah, so like a very interesting weekend. Becky Wick live from Omaha. We're looking forward to seeing much, much more coming up on Squawk Box. Thanks for waking up. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, seasoned trading pro John Najarian on what investors should be watching in the markets today. And as we had to break, here are some of the morning's other, uh, some of the morning's pre-market winners and their losers. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here's a look at some of the things investors will be watching on this first Monday of May. Two economic reports of note, both due out at 10 Eastern. 
April ISM manufacturing and March construction spending. Earnings season also continues this week. Among the names reporting after the bell today, Clorox, Expedia and MGM reports. And a key event in Amazon's battle with organized labor. Ballots will be counted today in a Staten Island Amazon warehouse union election. This follows a vote last month at a fulfillment center in Staten Island where workers cast their ballots in favor of forming a union. All right, let's dive right back into the market action and how some investors were seeking protection from the selling that picked up at the end of April. John Najarian joins us now, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com and a CNBC contributor. John, thanks for being here. Frank, great to be here. And you're exactly right, Frank. They've been buying, they, uh, big institutional buyers, have been purchasing puts all the way down, both in the SPY, which is, of course, the uh, S&P 500 mini contract, as well as the IWM. They've just been buying, buying, buying. And we haven't, quite frankly, seen volumes like that in a really long time, um, especially consistently, Frank, those kinds of purchases. So uh, the question is, I guess, is that hedging or is it betting that the market goes lower. Either way, those are big, big purchases in the IWM. I shot you pictures of a couple of them, I think. Yeah, I was just looking at it. Um, I mean, needless to say, very uh, bearish signals from some people in the market placing those bets against the market. Um, One thing I know that you keep a pretty close eye on is the VIX. The VIX spiking over the last week. Is there any direct relation to some of the volatility we're seeing to the idea that investors really want to hedge these bets? I think you'd really like to see the VIX break a little bit, sort of like a fever when it breaks. Um, And that would be something that would cause uh, the uh, amount of purchases that they're making on puts, which are, of course, that downside bet or that uh, protective measure that people put in place. If you saw the VIX break back down into the mid-20s, Frank, I think you'd see uh, pretty rapid uh, giving up of some of these puts Uh, and probably more speculation that maybe the market bounces. But at least so far, we haven't seen very much of that. You know, John, I'm going to be honest. We've been talking, you know, on this show off and on for about a year. I can't remember the last time you said the word put. It's been a while. Um, Are are we seeing any calls still in tech, even with obviously interest rates expect to go up? Is there any sectors or particular stocks where investors still feel confident? Um, There's been some upside speculation in. You mentioned Tim Cook with Becky just moments ago in Apple, of course, and in Microsoft. Um, But even those stocks have been carried lower uh, because of the general market malaise um, and or outright bearish positions. I'd say the best spot for right now, even though the crude oil contract is down today, is probably still energy, Frank. Refiners like Valero and Marathon, Um, as well as some of the exploration areas like the XOP. Those have seen very uh, robust speculation, I'd say, in calls, betting that the prices go higher uh, rather than lower. You know, before we let you go, we just got to talk about the broader market. Safe to say the FOMO trade, that's way, way, way over. Um, But the market always, people say, is looking for quality. And I just touched on this with somebody earlier. Amazon really seemed like quality. Revenue's up. Cloud marketing's up, and we all expect the logistics business to take a bit of a downturn as the pandemic begins to break. If Amazon's not quality, where is quality? Well, I think Amazon is quality, to your point. Um, So the problem is that for some investors, like Warren Buffett, for instance, the P.E. is still just way too high. So uh, as good as the company does and as great as it is top of mind with consumers, It's just not a company that's going to attract 
that kind of investor. But it could attract a whole host of other institutional investors, Frank. And I would think after the week that it had last week, uh, that Amazon will be on some people's radar screen this week. Yeah, I would think so, too. John and Jerry, we appreciate the wake up and the insight, as always. Thank you, All right, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Before we let you go, we want to take one last look at the futures right now. The Dow looking like it could open up more than 100 points higher at the open. It is still early. Remember, the Dow closed down more than 900 points on Friday. Markets coming off one of their worst months all time. Squawk Box and continue to break it down coming up next. Thanks for being here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.